God, we come praising you. We come lifting you up. We come thanking you. We come giving you glory and honor because you are due of all the fame of your name. And so, God, we ask that as we get ready to open the scripture, Lord, that as we get ready to seek you through your word, that you would do something not magical, but that you would do something transformative, something that would be long lasting, something that will have staying power. And so, Lord, we ask that your spirit would do what only your spirit can do which is bring about heart change, mind change, mind regulation, heart regulation. And so we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So we are continuing on in a series that we started a few weeks ago uh, called Rooted in Hope. And it is out of the book of First. Thessalonians. And so today we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Uh, and so if you have the app, if you have our church app, um, you can go into the app and you can record your notes and you can also see the chapter laid out there. But if not, if you brought a paper Bible or a device, a digital device, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, and we're going to be working through this passage. But before we jump into the passage, I want to talk a little bit about a word that is bandied around and thrown around uh, in the church landscape. And that word is gospel, the word gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L. And it means very literally good news, means good news. But the question is always, what is the good news about? What is there good news to herald? And so when you think of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John is the good news about Jesus Christ. But what difference does Jesus Christ make to bring about this good news? Uh, if you have a Sunday school background, if you grew up in church like I did, then you probably learned that the good news is the fact that Jesus has come, he has lived, he has died, and he has been resurrected by the power of God, proving that he is the Lord of all life and death, and that one day he ascended to heaven, but also that he shall return. And when we think about the gospel, many times we think about it very individualistically. We think about the fact that, yes, that we are sinners. This is true, that we have uh, we are divided by um, sin as a chasm from the goodness of God. That is true. But there also is another aspect of the gospel, and it is this aspect of the kingdom of God. And so I want to teach you guys a fancy word, and that is eschatological. Yeah, also, you can think of the word eschatology, which just means end times, final things, last things, um, the end of all things. And so I want to talk a little bit about the gospel, but from the perspective of an eschatological hope. And so embedded in the idea of the gospel embedded in this idea that Jesus has come, lived, died, been resurrected, ascended, and is soon returning, there is this thing that we say there is an end time hope that we should have for his return to us. And so 1 Thessalonians is all about that. It's all about the hope of the return of Jesus Christ. 
In fact, at the end of every chapter, and we talked about this during the introduction a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, where at the end of every chapter, there is a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Same is true here in chapter 2. And it reads like this in chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. And this is a reference to the second coming. And this is Paul writing. He says, For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? He's talking about the Thessalonians. In verse 20, he says, Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. I wanted to start at the end of the chapter today because Paul in this chapter is driving everything that he writes from verses 1 through 18. He's driving it towards his conclusion of the chapter in verses 19 and 20, where he is talking about this second coming. But when he's talking about this second coming, he's not talking about the glory of God that's coming uh, necessarily. He's talking about that he is preparing the Thessalonians for presentation to the king. He is preparing the Thessalonians for presentation to the king as he returns. And so I have a couple of thoughts that I want us to work through, starting at verse 1, and we'll keep going from there. Verse 1 in chapter 2, it says, For you yourselves know, talking about the Thessalonians again, he says, Brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and retreated outrageously in Philippi, Paul being dramatic there, but maybe not so much, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. If you're a note taker like I am, and maybe like how Cherish is, I want you to write down this, the gospel impact cannot be deterred. The gospel impact cannot be deterred, it cannot be moved, it cannot be stopped because the impact of the good news about Jesus Christ is going to break out. In fact, Paul writes this and he says in verse 1 that when he came to them, it was not without result. If you were to go back to Acts chapter 17 and read verses like 1 through 9 or 10, you would see that Paul came to the city of Thessalonica and he was preaching to them and he went to the synagogue and over three synagogue uh, happenings, he began to share the gospel, not only with Jewish folks, but with Gentiles. And through his sharing of the good news about Jesus Christ, he was able to persuade some and through the power of the spirit to come and share their lives with Jesus. And so when we take from verses 1 through 2 that the gospel impact cannot be deterred, it cannot be stopped, it is, we see here, it is not without result. And he goes on in verse 2 and he says, On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, let's pause there, see, before he came to Thessalonica, he was in Philippi. And just like how he got ran out of Thessalonica by a mob, he also got beat up and messed up in Philippi. And so he came limping from Philippi to Thessalonica, but it says here that he was still emboldened. 
He was emboldened. That's a great word. He was he had found himself to still be empowered and to be excited about the, the message that he was carrying. And it says emboldened by our God to speak the gospel, the good news of God to you in spite of great opposition. No matter what is being is happening in your life, we must find a way to allow the good news about Jesus Christ to not be deterred in its inner workings in us. Because sometimes what happens is things happen in life, right? Divorce happens. Uh, sicknesses happen, uh, death happens in our families, but whatever it may be, we must allow the gospel to have its inner workings in us. So throughout a great opposition, Paul pushed forward to share the good news. And the takeaway for us today is that we must allow the good news to take root in us in spite of opposition in our lives. Verse 3. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. Verse five, for we never use flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives, God is our witness in verse six. And we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Point to be made, gospel proclamation is for God's glory alone. You see, Paul had a group of people who were imitating him as he would share the gospel in various places. But when he would share the gospel, he would share from a pure motive, not from greed, not to receive glory, not to receive the praise from people. But there were other teachers, false teachers, who were out and about, who were sharing the good news about Jesus Christ, but they were doing it out of unpure motives. And here, as he says, our, he's talking about his companions, uh, Silas and also Timothy. And he is letting the Thessalonians know that, hey, I've been approved. I've been entrusted with this good news. And so I carry it and I carry it not for my sake. I carry it not for my benefit, but I carry it for God's glory alone. Now, that word glory is is always interesting to me because when I think about it, I just put the word fame there. Right. Fame. We, we think about people getting their their 15 minutes of fame. We think about people uh, getting on TV and having celebrity status. Well, this is about the idea of the fact that God, when we proclaim or when the good news about him is proclaimed in the world and to individuals. And even when you preach it to yourselves, it is about him receiving fame Alone. It is about him moving to a higher plane of, uh, of praise and honor and dignity than if it had been shared um, about something else, right? And so when he is sharing here in verses 3 through 6, Paul is trying to drill into the hearts and the minds of the Thessalonians that, hey, I do this not for myself. I do this for God's glory alone. 
And we'll talk more about why that's important towards the end. Verses 7 through 9. 7 says, Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle, that's a key word, among you as a nurse nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you, verse 8, that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us, for you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. Now, when I read this, I, I, I take a hit because as someone who, it, who makes their living off of serving the people of God, uh, I hear right that it is very easy to, um, to, 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 to take this calling that I have on my life and that Dave has on his life and to make it purely just about um, teaching people theology. But what I hear here in the scripture is that the ministers of the gospel will have care and concern for you. There will be care and concern for you. There won't just be um, an articulation of theology and of the gospel and big fancy words like eschatological, but there will be a care and a concern for you. He uses these words. He says, we came to you as gentle ones. We came to you like a nurse who nurtures her own children. Think about that. Get that image in your mind, right, of, of this, this mother who is taking care of her children and nurturing them and bringing them up in such a way. And so it's, he's trying to uh, put an image in the heads of the Thessalonians and, and for us today of one of care and concern. But my favorite part is in verse eight when he says we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel. So we're going to share the good news about Jesus Christ, because that is what everything is pointing towards. But we're also going to share our own lives. This is so important because for Dave and I, I know that our heart we, we pray for you all regularly. We have a board in our office and we have names written and each of your names are there. And we pray for you on a weekly basis because we have care and concern for you. And the reason why is because one day we are required, like we read in verses 19 and 20 at the, at the end of this chapter, to present you to the soon returning king. But I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. And so as we move on to verses 10 through 12, it says, you are witnesses and so, and so is God of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, some, some more nurturing, caring imagery, familial imagery. And he says in verse 12, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Here in verse 12, we get a glimpse of what Paul is working towards in verses 19 and 20. 
That glimpse is, is that he's, it says that he, uh, he who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. It's this idea that the king will return, right? But Paul is saying that we encouraged you, we, comforted, we comforted you, and we implored you. For someone to implore means to beg someone to do something almost with desperation or with an earnestness. And so as he was talking with these Thessalonians or writing this letter to these Thessalonians, he was begging them, I want you to walk worthy of God. Now, what does that mean? How can you walk worthy of God? One commentator or scholar said, he says, it means to live in a manner consistent with the commands and character of God, to live in a manner consistent with the commands and character of God. Of God. You see, these Thessalonians, they were under intense pressure and persecution because there were people who did not like, right, that they had turned from their wicked ways and turned from spiritual death to spiritual life. In fact, uh, the Thessalonian city was a major port city and there was imperial worship of the emperor. There And so when anybody came talking about a new king, there was a political rub and tension that happened there. But when Paul said that you are going to bow to a new king and accept a new gospel, a new good news about a new kingdom that is coming, there are people who thought, what is happening here? Right. And so it caused issues and tensions, but Paul wanted to implore them, to beg them to not turn back to imperial worship or to worship of the pantheon of gods, but he wanted him them to walk worthy in the manner consistent with the commands and the character of God. Well, the commands of God are many. To love your neighbor as yourself, to love the Lord your God, right? And they can be summed up in that way. But in the character of God, God is holy, God is merciful, God is loving. This is the character of God. And so he asked them to walk in this way. Why? Because they're going to be presented to a king one day. Let's move on. Verse 13 through 16. This is why we constantly thank God. Because you received the word of God that you heard from us. You welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. All right, now verses 14 through 16, going to get a little rough, but hold on, because it all ties back in the 13. For you, brothers and sisters became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, since you have also suffered the same things from people of your own country, talking about Gentiles and Jews, just as they did from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us. They displease God and are hostile to everyone by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. And as a result... They are constantly filling up their sins to the limit and wrath has overtaken them at last. The main portion uh, here in verses 13 through 16 or the main idea that you should grab is or when you hear the gospel proclaimed, what do you do with it? 
When you hear the gospel proclaimed, what do you do with it? When you're in church, when you're listening to a sermon throughout the week or a podcast and someone is talking about Jesus and the difference that he makes, what do you do with that? How do you apply that? How does that run deep into your life? Because here in verse 13, it says that the Thessalonians, when they received the word of God, they didn't just hear it, but they welcomed it, not as a human message, not as a message from Damaris, not as a message from David, but as a message from God, that it was truly the word of God. So the question is, when is the last time that you opened the Bible and truly expected for life change to flow from reading it? Because many times we can enter into the text, enter into the scriptures and just perfunctorily peruse it and go through it and expect nothing to change. And so the question is, when we hear the gospel, when we hear the word proclaimed, what do we do with it? The Thessalonians put it to work. They put it to practice. It emboldened them, it encouraged them, and it helped them as they received persecution and unjust um, deter from people in their community. And then last but not least, and we'll camp out here, verse 17 through 20. But as for you, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time, in person, but not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and to see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Verse 17, when Paul says, after we were forced to leave you, the Greek word there has this idea, this connotation that they were orphaned. And, and if you remember when we were reading uh, at the beginning uh, of, of Thessalonians, he called them brothers and sisters. He talked about them uh, and said that they were his children, that he was nursing and nurturing. He, he said that he was a father to them or like a father to them, that he was encouraging them and comforting them and imploring them to walk worthy the calling of God. And so he continues this familial illustration throughout the chapter. And here he says, we were forced to leave you. We had to orphan you, but it wasn't intentional. And he said it's only for a short time. He's trying to convey once again, his care and concern. That's all over this chapter and all over this book of first Thessalonians. He said, in fact, we greatly desired to go to you, to return to you, to see you face to face because we love you. We care for you. He says, but Satan hindered us. Well, there's a lot of ideas about what does that mean? What does it mean that Paul was hindered from returning to them? There's this thought that there was potential illness from Paul because Paul was kind of getting a little bit older. He also, uh, there's also this idea that there was a potential legal ban from the Thessalonian officials that kept him from going back. But we land squarely and firmly where we started at verse 19 and 20. For who is our hope or joy or crown or of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? That word coming is the Greek word parousia. And 
it has this idea that a king is coming to visit a city. Imagine if there was a king, if we were not a democracy, right? And we had a king coming to the city of Austin. Austin would be swept clean. It would be beautiful as the king would be coming to see about his people. And so it's this idea that a king is returning. And for that king, we must be ready. We must be prepared. And so Paul is saying, he's saying, hey, I'm trying to make a gospel impact here because I want to present you to the king rightly. He's trying to hear... Uh, create or, or communicate to the Thessalonians that, hey, I'm trying to proclaim the gospel to you for God's glory alone because I'm trying to prepare you for him alone. That he is trying to communicate the gospel and proclaim it and ask them to demonstrate it and ask them to think on it because he wants to prepare them for as a presentation for the king. And he says to them in this, in this great way, in verse 20, he says, indeed, you are our glory and joy. He, it's almost like that they have been beautified, that they have been um, sanctified, that they have been made holy and brilliant because they've been living in such a way that is worthy of their calling from God. And so Paul says, you know what? I've got hope. I've got joy. In fact, I can boast in the presence of God in the most humble way that you can boast in the presence of God because you have prepared well and have been prepared well through our coming. And with that in mind, as we think about hope, as we think about the eschatological hope, the end time hope, the return of Jesus, I want to ask you this week, that as you go through your week, that maybe you would read through 1 Thessalonians. It's only five chapters long, short verses, that you would read through it and that you would think about the hope that is to come as the king will return and that you will think about that you are being prepared and you should be preparing yourself for your presentation to the king. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that we can, we can be excited about your return, that you are coming again. You are coming again. And God, we are preparing for a presentation to you. And so God, I pray that it would be one that is pleasing to you. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.